Good morning, church family. Our scripture reading today is from Daniel chapter 2. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants to dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all of the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. Why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Daniel then went to the king. The king declared to Daniel, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And as you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken into pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream 
Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things, and like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw, the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with soft clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. A great God made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and it's his interpretation sure. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Thank you again for obeying. I tell you, Ruby, I hear the word of God when you read it to us. So, so grateful. I, I would guess, amen. <laughs> I would guess almost everybody here has had a time in your life when you have so many thoughts rushing through your head. Maybe they are troubling thoughts and, and you find it hard to get to sleep. Anybody had that? Maybe even if you do get to sleep, those same troubling thoughts come out in your dreams, um, sometimes recurring wild dreams. Now, I have to tell you, I don't usually re remember any of my dreams, but my wife, Chris, does. She gave me permission to tell about this one. When we first got married, she was having these recurring dreams of this uh, giant mechanical spider that was chasing her. So I looked up in one of those B kind of movies, you know, a spider, so you could envision it. I see you're terrorized already. But that uh, was chasing her, and so I w she kept waking me up, swatting me in the, in the middle of the night. So, of course, she is now, after 41 years of marriage, so at, so at peace. She never has those. But uh, <laughs> if you can relate to any of this, uh, th then you can understand what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. And particularly, whenever you're having a lot of those kinds of thoughts and, and dreams going on, sometimes you begin to wonder, uh, is this just a dream? Or, or maybe is there a message I'm trying to get? Maybe God is trying to break into my life in some ways. So, and that's what happened with King Nebuchadnezzar. In Daniel chapter 2. So before we look at his story, I just want to tell you this at the beginning, and I'll probably tell you again at the end, that when your heart and your mind is troubled, then those times of distress may really be God trying to get your attention. It may be he's wanting you to give something to him or to turn your life afresh over to him or maybe simply to find him, to be the one that in one of my favorite passages in the Bible, Psalm 46, where God says that he is our refuge, he is our strength and a very present help in times of trouble. So today what we're going to do is we're going to look at two men who are in times of trouble. One of them was King Nebuchadnezzar himself, and the other one was Daniel, and actually how God calls them, and the way I put this together is this, calls them, one, to wake up, two, to look up, 
And then three, to bow down. Are you ready? Wake up. Because the troubled thoughts you have might actually be God wanting to break into your life and say something to you in a new way. I'll tell you, when you read through the early parts of uh, the book of Daniel, it becomes pretty clear that Babylon, where all of this took place, it was a, a time of a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear, a lot of brutality, because Nebuchadnezzar II who was the king when Daniel came in, and his father before him, Nebuchadnezzar I, had ruled in such a way that people were terrified. They were really terrified about displeasing the king because he kept lopping people's heads off. You might be terrified too. But I think the shocker, if they had read about this back, back when Nebuchadnezzar was alive, was that Nebuchadnezzar himself, though he had all this power, was himself filled with anxiety, and his thoughts were troubled too. And if any of you have ever been in positions of authority, you can understand this, right? How worried sometimes we can be. His, his mind was so troubled that it came out, it rose from his subconscious into his conscious state through, th through this dream of this huge metallic monster that, that seemed to have his own head on it, and then that monster statue was destroyed. And it seemed to hit Nebuchadnezzar as being more than just a dream. It felt like an omen or maybe a message from the gods. Because you've got to remember, Nebuchadnezzar was trying to make himself into the most invincible ruler ever in the history of the world. Uh, he'd built a lot of statues of gods around Babylon, and I think sometimes he thought of himself as a god, but as powerful as he was... This dream brought to the surface all of these things inside that make, made him wonder, is this thing going to last or is it going to crumble? Now, now you've got to know that the Babylonians, back so long ago, believed what almost every people group in the history of the world has believed, that this physical material world is not all there is. That, do you believe that too? That, that there is both a physical material world, but there is also an immaterial a spiritual world, and they believed that dreams and visions were actually a way that the spiritual world communicated into our own material, our material world. And that's why they're in, in Babylon. They believed that so deeply that, that they had this whole group of people they called wise men. If you heard, I know you heard Ruby reading, but if you noticed that she astrologers and magicians and Chaldeans, they were all having one big job trying to help people to understand what the uh, spiritual world was saying. They were, they were trained for that. So you can see why one day after Nebuchadnezzar kept having this terrifying dream, he called them in and wanted them to tell him what was going on. But it didn't seem like he trusted them, did it? It, it seemed like he thought they might be bogus. <laughs> He wanted to find out if they really had any connection to that spiritual world, right? So he said, here's what you've got to do. You've got to tell me what the dream was and then tell me the interpretation. Uh, he, I, I, as I think about it, I think he thought, well, anybody could, uh, if, if somebody gave him a report, this is what I've been dreaming, anybody could concoct some sort of interpretation of it. You've got to show me that you have a real connection to these gods. So you do that. You tell me what the dream was and then tell me its interpretation. I can empathize with them well when they turned to him and said, King, 
There is no human being alive who can do what you have asked us to do. But, but, but the king just became furious. Uh, his anxiety just broke out into the fact that he would say, now, I'll tell you what I'm going to do then. If you're not going to tell me what the dream is and its interpretation, I'm going to kill you all and destroy all that you have. It wasn't a real good time for those uh, wise men at that particular time, was it? And that included Daniel and his three friends. They were going to be killed too. Now, I want to stop there for just a moment. Uh, history records that even though Nebuchadnezzar um, was a brutal and narcissistic, self-centered man, he still believed in the gods. Um, he, he erected all of these gods uh, all over his city, uh, statues to them. There are still recorded prayers in museums of the prayers that he prayed to the gods. So it wasn't as if he didn't believe in any kind of supernatural world. But the, the thing that is clear to me is that he had no personal relationship to the eternal living God. He was asleep to God, and the same was true of all of his astrologers and wise men. So he didn't really know God, but God knew Nebuchadnezzar. And one of the things I really appreciate about the story is that it seems to me that one of the things we see here is that God is breaking in through this dream into Nebuchadnezzar's life, and he's letting him know that he is real, and he's letting him know some of the things that are going to happen in the future. And what Nebuchadnezzar needed to do was wake up. He had to wake up to the fact that there has to be some kind of a king over all kings, including over him, and there needs to be some God who is over all of these small gods in his world. He certainly believed in gods, but he didn't really know the eternal God. So I'll tell you, it's made me think about us. and makes me see that sometimes I, when we go to church, I wonder if even though you and I believe in God, that in your daily life you're awake to him? Whether like Nebuchadnezzar, you say you believe in him, but you are asleep to him? And sometimes I think that when you suffer from ongoing troubling thoughts in your mind, it may well be that God is just like with Nebuchadnezzar, is breaking into your life, letting you know that he knows you, that he is with you, that he loves you, and he so much wants you to come awake to his presence. So this dream that God gave the king, bottom line, is that there is a God, and this God is in this world, and this God is at work and in control of things in this world. So the king didn't know that. He was asleep to it. God sent him a gift. How would you like that gift? <laughs> he may send you a gift just like this. It was not a gift that... Nebuchadnezzar asked for, but it was really one that there is one eternal king, Nebuchadnezzar. There is one eternal kingdom and, and one God. If Nebuchadnezzar had accepted that, that there is a God to whom he was accountable, don't you think it would have changed his life? No longer have been so self-directed and so brutal and and so self-guided in everything that he does, and he would have been kinder in his nation. So I just wonder about you today. Are you awake to the presence of God? And we come into church and sing, but when you leave, do you know that, that he goes with you? I often use a phrase, and I, I think it fits here, 
that there's so many times that you and I, though we're churchgoers, we're like practical agnostics. You know, an agnostic is somebody who isn't sure that God really is. It's not that you are that. I don't think you come to church at 11 o'clock service not believing that there, there is some sort of God. But on the other side, you're a practical agnostic. Living life as if God isn't there, trying to sort it all out in your own strength, getting frustrated when these troubling thoughts are there, lashing out at others. I'm praying that today you might be awake to the fact that God might be speaking to you and saying that he is there, he loves you, and he wants to work in a new way in your life. I, I just tell you, wake up to the reality of God. And then look up, look up. Let your troubles lead you to seek God in prayer. This longer section, it, it all starts with men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death too. Now, when you read through this section, the first thing that I think, if it's the first time you've read it, you start to think, oh, Daniel is the big rescuer. I mean, he's the only one who's able to act decisively, confidently, where these other Chaldeans and magicians and sorcerers, they had no idea. They were kind of numb in the presence of this crazy king. Only Daniel was able to step into the crisis with confidence, and because he did, he didn't have to die, nor did any of the other wise men. But then you look back at it again, and what you see is Daniel himself was in trouble. He wasn't the rescuer. He was the one who had to be rescued. He was in deep, deep trouble. His life was at risk. But Daniel was awake to God. And what we see Daniel doing here is just the way of life that should always sort of flow out of a genuine, ongoing relationship with God because it always involves prayer. When you know God and times like this happen, you do what Daniel did. He ran over to find three other godly friends and says, we need to pray. I, I can really relate to what happened. So this commander of the, God, uh, of the guards came into Daniel to kill him. And Daniel said, wait, what's going on here? And he tells him the story. And, and Daniel says, let me talk to the king. So the commander held off on killing Daniel and set up a meeting for him with, with King Nebuchadnezzar. And, and, and Daniel walks in, and the king says, can you tell me both the dream and the interpretation of the dream? And Daniel, I don't know, I put myself and said, well, sure. Let, let me go back and consult my God, and I'll get back to you. Then he or I would have rushed over to his three godly friends and says, we've got to pray. <laughs> There's no hope for us unless God shows up and does something here. And so God sent Daniel a gift, a dream. And in that dream, he gave them everything he needed. So here we are. We're, we're church people here. But I, I can well imagine most of us doing just what the Babylonian wise men did. Problem like this comes, and somebody asks us to do something that's impossible, and we say, nobody can do that. It's impossible to do that instead of being like Daniel who go. Daniel's the one we need to learn from. Go and say, Lord, I can't do this. My life is at stake unless you show up. There is no hope whatsoever. I just want to tell you, brothers and sisters, in those times in my life, and I've had a number of them, 
when I really came to the end of my own resources and thought, Lord, unless, unless you are here, uh, I don't know what I'm going to do. I have nowhere else to turn. That my most profound experiences with God have happened in those times. I thought about the time I went and visited Randy and Edie Nelson back when they lived in Thailand. And they, they said to me, whenever they told me about the places they had seen God showing up and doing amazing things, they said, if the people at Lake Avenue Church begin to wonder whether God is really real, send them over here for a while. <laughs> Let them get themselves into these places where God simply has to be there or else there's no hope. And, and, and then they will know that there is a God. And I'll tell you, it may well be that if you are going through those times of real, real trouble in your life, it might really be God saying, turn to me. Look up to me, because I, I'll, I'll tell you, so many times we try to do it in our own resources and on our own strength. Daniel alone, among all of those wise guys in, uh, in Babylon, along with his three Jewish friends, were alive to God. And so, so because of that, when God actually did show up and gave him that dream, he was able to stand in front of this, this king and just with confidence deliver to him both the dream and the interpretation of the dream without any fear. And you've got to realize this wasn't all that optimistic what this dream was saying to this king. Could have just made him really angry, but Daniel was able without arrogance and pride simply to say, listen, it's not me, but there's an eternal God, and this is what he has said. As I've thought about these two men, when Nebuchadnezzar had troubles, he took them to bed. When Daniel had troubles, he took them to God. Where do you take yours? So, when God broke in and did it, and God, Daniel said, oh, Lord, you've done this amazing thing, he broke out in this amazing uh, prayer of praise. I mean, Jeremy, you led us in, in doing that sort of thing today, and this is exactly what we would do. I put a part of it up here. It's in verses 20 to 23. This is what he said. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are His. He changes the times and seasons. He deposes kings and then raises up others. He reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness. You have made known, Lord, what has been asked of you. You have made known the dream of the king. Because he knew what God had done and God was there, he was able to be brutally honest to this king. You, you saw the dream. It was about this big, frightening statue. I, I found a picture that looked like it. It's not nearly frightening enough. I'll put, it, put the picture up and we'll see if I see any terror in your faces. I, I think he probably saw his own face in the head. But anyway, Daniel just turns to him and he says, King, the dream itself, here it is, was of a large statue with a head of gold that is attached to a body with its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, and its feet of iron and clay. But a stone not made by human hands will come and strike the stone on its feet. But that stone won't remain small. It will grow to be the size of a mountain that will fill the entire earth. Now, um, if you've grown up in church like I have and have ever heard Daniel preached about, you know that preachers like me obsess over these kingdoms that are represented by the silver and, and the bronze and the iron, right? Over which periods of time they were in all their precisions. Let me tell you, I'm not going to do that this morning. 
I have some thoughts, but I'm not going to do that because it makes you miss the main point. So I decided I'd write down to you, with you a summary of what the interpretation was. Okay, here it is. Nebuchadnezzar, the time of the existence of your empire will be powerful, but short-lived. It will be instrumental in giving place to three other empires, each in its own way, impressive and mighty, but the day is coming when all the magnificence of all earthly kingdoms will be seen to rest on feet of crumbly clay that cannot sustain them. Someday all the world's empires will crumble because the kingdoms of this world must give way to another kingdom that will come, that must come, and that will fill the rest of the future. That eternal kingdom will start small like a stone, but it will grow to become a magnificent mountain. It will fill the whole earth. Because of this, Nebuchadnezzar, someday your empire and all other kingdoms of this earth will cease. Tell you, Bible scholars debate over everything that is meant in that and the details of it, but the point of it is unmistakable. God is at work in this world. When he is finished with his work, all the kingdoms that stand against him will crumble. God himself will reign in his eternal kingdom. And it won't be like Nebuchadnezzar's, filled with brutality. It will be a kingdom of peace and a kingdom of justice. Do you believe that? If we know that, and you and I know him, as our Father, and that we can enter into His presence as His children with confidence, then I am telling you, when those troubles fill our minds, what we're going to do is just give them to Him in prayer. When you know God and you know He's at work in the world, you're still going to face in this world what feel like to you and your human strength impossible situations. But what's impossible for us is not impossible for God. So when you pray, you can be assured that God can and will be sufficient for your troubles. So I'll tell you, if, if you've come with your mind filled with stuff, when you're troubled, first wake up. God is there. And then look up to Him. And th then finally, bow down. Learn to surrender your entire life, including those troubles, to God, who is alone greater than all of your troubles. I read through this section that Ruby didn't read. It begins at the end of chapter 2, uh, that, that, uh, where he's just so profoundly uh, enthusiastic and exuberant about what he's heard that Daniel's able to tell him what the dream was and then the explanation of it. And in fact, at first it seems like he's ready to praise God. Oh, you're, this God of yours, Daniel, is greater than all the other gods, he says, but he doesn't really worship God. In fact, when you look at it, he worships Daniel more than he worships God. He offers incense to Daniel. Then when you go on and read into chapter 3, he goes right out and he builds this 100 feet tall statue to himself. It makes it in gold. Uh, I don't think he has surrendered himself to the Lord. The day is going to come when he does. But that's not until chapter 4, so you're going to have to be back again. Instead, it seems like there's some sort of an arrogance here. Huh, these other things are just silver and bronze and lead. I, I'm gold. 
I'm the gold head. I'm the greatest. Can't you just feel it, this whole thing? But he fails to remember that a stone is going to come and hit at those feet of clay. And when it hits there, it's not just the lead and the bronze and the silver that will crumble. Gold is heavy and heavy heads on feet of clay. That just isn't going to work. Everything is going to crumble, head and all. I'll just tell you, there is such a warning here to us. Nebuchadnezzar has this uh, enthusiastic experience of God where he acts like he's filled with praise to God, and then it's as if he, he makes himself God again. I've seen it happen so often. Have you ever seen it? Uh, people coming into church with, with real troubles, asking for prayer. We pray. They see an answer to prayer, sometimes a healing, amazing things that God does, steps in. The person is so immediately enthusiastic. Pastor Greg, I'm never going to miss church again. What did Les Stalker say? How much money do we need? I'm going to give offerings like you've never seen, all these things, and then I never see them again. And have you ever met anyone like that? Have you ever been a little bit like that? I'll tell you, the, the, the example of, of an experience with God is not Nebuchadnezzar, but Daniel, where when the troubles kept coming, he kept trusting God and walking with him and kept coming back to him in prayer. Uh, so easy. Jesus talked about this centuries later. Mark chapter 4. He was one of his seed parables. He said, this is what this is like. It's like the seed that falls into the rocky soil. It springs up with all this exuberance and joy, but it doesn't have any root, and soon it's, it's gone. It's gone. I pray that will not be true of you. Uh, I pray that you'll have a genuine, deep, lasting experience of the Lord. Um, do you know God in that genuine way? The question is, how, how do you get to know God in that kind of a way? And, and the answer is really found in that stone. So I'll just ask you, who's the stone? Who's the stone? You, you, might, you might guess because you're at Lake Avenue Church today. And, uh, but I've got to say the, the same thing. Okay, the stone. With Abraham, centuries before even Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar, God had said, someone's going to be born through your line who's going to bring salvation to the entire world. And often the word that would be used for that one would be a stone, the building blocks of what God is going to do. After when David came, it's going to come through your line, David. There's going to be a kingdom that never fades away, and it's sometimes called a stone. Uh, after Jesus had actually come, the apostle Peter looks back, and he realized that, that Jesus is the one who's been forecast to be the Savior of the world, and he would write in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, as you come to him, the living stone, that's Jesus, though rejected by people, chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are built into this spiritual house. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Have you trusted in him? Because though it started small, obscure, born in a little manger in Bethlehem, living most of his life in one little city of, of Capernaum, dying a brutal death where people thought it is all over, defeated death by a resurrection, with this promise that what began so small is going to grow and eventually reach every tribe and every language and every nation, 
until the kingdom of God will be filled with people who together will be singing, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the one who was willing to be slain for our salvation. Salvation belongs to our God. That is the God who is here. That is the one to whom we should give all of our troubles. All of our troubles. Uh, this, this dream spoke directly to Nebuchadnezzar, right? Telling him, you may have a big kingdom now, but it's going to crumble. You need to know the God who is the king over all kings. It speaks to us. It, on one level, it speaks about what I preach about so often, those times when we try to build our own kingdoms. I've just got to finish that business deal. I've got to build this, this business. I've got to finish my PhD, or my kids do. And they've got to get into that Ivy League school. And all, all those things can happen, and they're wonderful blessings from God, but they don't last. It calls us, as Psalm 62 says, to rest, to find our rest in God alone, the one who is our rock and our salvation. But I'll tell you, um, mostly as I've been praying about this message I'm preaching to you, what I really care about is those times when your heart and your mind are so troubled and you come to church. You, maybe some of you are having them now. Those times when those troubling thoughts are robbing you of your joy and of your peace. It's even been hard to praise God and, and to listen today. Let me just ask you, when troubles break into your mind and into your heart, are you more like Nebuchadnezzar or more like Daniel? Nebuchadnezzar, who just becomes irritated, lashes out at everybody. If you don't solve this thing, I'm going to lop your head off. We tend to do that, don't we? Blaming everybody else, lashing at other people because of our own anxiety. Or like Daniel, who has learned that when those troubles are there, they're not greater than God, and has learned that maybe that trouble is something that will bring me back to God and casts all his cares on the Lord because he cares for you. And he does care for you, you know. You know that, don't you? He loves you with an everlasting love. Jesus, the stone prophesied in the dream, you and I know he's already come into this world. And out of his love for you and me, he came and then he lived the life you and I should be living but none of us has and he knows we haven't. He knows we've fallen short and still out of love he was willing to die for us and the death couldn't hold him. He defeated it through his resurrection and before he went to the grave, he told us not to forget what our salvation would cost. It cost him his life. So we're going to end our service the way we should. We're going to remember, right? Because he told us to do that when we gather, gather together and remember. And he gave us an institution so that we wouldn't forget his, the bread and the cup, his body and blood shed out of love for us. So at the conclusion of our service, that's what we're going to do. We're going to remember the coming of the stone into this world. Uh, the one who alone can change everything in our lives. We're going to remember his life, one lived without sin. We're going to remember his death, sufficient for our sins to bring us to God, and we're going to remember it until he comes back for us in glory.